0: But it has been so good for my heart to sit inside this story and I'm so eager to bring it to you and I just pray that for the same, that you'll just open your heart and mind wide, even though it's kind of hard to look at, that we'll swallow it deep and the Lord can make us fighters. I am a girl who is in love with Rocky movies. Love them, yes, love them, unashamedly. For my 16th birthday party, my mom had a Rocky party. And um, when I walked in the door, I didn't know everyone was in the basement, but I heard dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And I was like, oh! And I ran downstairs, and there's all my friends, and we watched all the Rocky movies. At that point, it was just Rocky one, two, and three. I saw Rocky three like 25 times the summer that it came out. Love the movies, love them. Not so much four and five, you know, six whatever. One, two, three, awesome movies. And I remember when I would go see them with my dad. He was—he really liked to watch boxing. I'm not so much into boxing, but I like the Rocky movies. And uh, I would sit with my dad in the movie. And if you're—if you've seen Rocky. Um, and if you haven't, then that's required viewing to be my friend. So go ahead and rent those things so we can chat it up about these Rocky movies. But I would sit there with my dad, and always there's these very typical scenes in a Rocky movie. And it in that last fight, there would be a point where this fierce enemy would just be pounding Rocky in the head. And his eyes are swollen and he's bleeding and he can hardly stand and he can't see. And I would be just pounding my dad's arm, just going, when is he going to hit him back? When is he going to hit him back? ah!" And I was dodging all the fights. I was totally there. I was in the movie. And then there's this scene. Oh, and the music changes. And Rocky gets this look in his eye. And every time he saw that look, it was all I could do not to stand up in the theater and go yeah! Because it was at that point where he would come out and, he would just, and he'd just and he'd swing and he'd swing and he'd swing and he'd swing and he'd swing, and the enemy would always have this look on his face like, "What? Did, where did you come from? Where did that come from? I was just destroying you." But Rocky gets this thing on him where he's like, "You're not going to hit me again." And then he would just pound him until he won, and it was so awesome every single time. So Paul's story reminds me a lot of Rocky. So. I want to bring it to you in Rocky fashion today, if you will allow me. And I know that might stretch you a little bit, but that's all right. stretching's good for us. So, Acts, uh, th- there's a lot to say about Rocky. So kind of just, or er, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just set it up for you for a second. Um Paul is God's chosen missionary, and I'm going to tell you right about his commission, and then I'll kind of rewind in his life a little bit before that. But Acts 9.15 tells us that um, Paul was chosen by God. He had a very specific mission that he was going to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the guy. He's my chosen instrument, which is really crazy, and we'll back up in a minute and look at that. But I kind of think of Mission Impossible on this, that Jesus was kind of coming to to Paul and saying, this is your mission. If you choose to accept it, I want you to take the gospel of the Gentiles to, uh, I want you to take the gospel to the Gentiles living up in Asia Minor, which would eventually become Europe. And uh, this was no small task because this territory that Paul was called to carry this story in was currently held by the prince of this world. So if you're going to have a boxing match and you're going to form Paul, you're going to match Paul against the prince of this world. And who I'm referring to in the prince of this world, that's one of the names of the enemy. He has many names, but he is referred to in scripture as the, um, as the prince of this world. This fight Um, is really interesting the way this this works. And I think I, I wanna give you this and it might be a new thought for your brain, but I want you to sit inside it and just see if you don't see this all throughout scripture, the rules of this fight. The prince of this world is gonna have dominion over the earth. He's gonna have dominion over the earth. In Genesis, we see when God gives the curses to Adam and Eve and to the serpent, he curses them each specifically. And to the man, he talks about how the earth is cursed, how the, it, it, it's now gonna bear the sin and it's gonna start producing weeds. Don't we love those things? That's all product of the curse. Um, it's it's, it's gonna grow thorns, it's gonna grow thistles, and it's gonna take a lot of work. Sweat of our brow, we're gonna to have to work this earth. And then at the end of Genesis uh, 6, Or three, excuse me. He says, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So this flesh, we know that. Don't we know that? I'm 41, I know that. This is not eternal, this flesh stuff. It is gonna return to dust. Um, We spend a lot of time and energy in America trying to prevent that process from taking place. It won't stop it. We're gonna get old and we're gonna turn to dust. So in that, there's some kind of some rules of the game here in that there is some jurisdiction so to speak that the enemy has in this world over stuff that's not eternal you know just dust um but the kingdom of god he has absolutely no power over none the kingdom of god is born in our hearts and the enemy has no power over the kingdom of God. Greater is he, First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And when the kingdom of God born in you rises up and is very, very powerful, all of a sudden you've got this tension. You've got something eternal living in something temporary. Do you see that tension there? And so the enemy presses against that temporary, trying to squelch the eternal. And you see that ultimately in Jesus on the cross. And John um, 10, 10, it talks about, About the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And in John 14 30, Jesus says um, that the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. And what that's showing is if Jesus hanging on the cross is the perfect picture of what I'm trying to talk to you about, the enemy could do a lot of damage to to his flesh, couldn't he? When we look at that picture of him hanging there on the cross, he is so mutilated and so destroyed that we've never seen an accurate picture of what he really looked like because scripture says he didn't even look human anymore. His flesh was so destroyed. That is the will of the enemy to destroy. So on the outside, he looked like the enemy had destroyed him. But we know that we know better, don't we? Because there was something going on inside. The enemy could not touch the eternal spirit of Jesus Christ. And he not only defeated death. He, I mean, he rose from the dead and raised up that resurrected body. So it's a major story of overcoming. So we've got this principle taking place. So if you're going to take Paul and you're going to take the enemy and you're going to bring him into the ring and you're going to have the referee kind of giving the rules, no below the belt punches, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. This is, the, this is what it was about. Here's kind of You've got um, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, Paul. And the enemy is going to have all this power over all this stuff that's temporary. And Matthew 10:28 says, "Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell." So we're gonna look at the mission of Paul and his fight against the enemy to take the gospel to the Gentiles and I'm gonna do it in 15 rounds, okay? I wanna give it to you one story at a time. It's gonna be Acts in like 10 minutes. We're gonna fly through the story of Paul and how exciting it is. And I hope I just whet your appetite to wanna go home and read it for yourself this week and enjoy it and savor it because all I can do is go really, really fast and point the pictures. For those of you who know this book well, Forgive me as I'm going to go fast. And for others of you who this is your first exposure, receive it and, go and know there's a lot more to it than what I'm going to be able to tell you today. But before we get into it, I need to let you know who Paul used to be. In, in uh, Acts 8, chapter 3, he's called the destroyer of the church. How amazing is that? Of all people that God could have chosen to build his church, it is only God who would look at Paul, destroyer of church, and go, oh, I think you'll do just fine. I love it. There is nothing beyond the love and the imagination of God. He's like, that zeal could really serve me. So Paul is out there destroying the church and uh, on, in Acts chapter nine, he has a major God encounter. We talk about how we desire those so much here at Highland. Every Sunday we want to encounter God, but I've never had one like Damascus road where Saul is on his way to persecute the church. And he literally encounters the risen Jesus Christ in the road in a blinding light. And he says, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus says, it's me. It's me, Jesus. I'm the one you're going to persecute. And he blinds him. And he gives him three days and he doesn't eat or he doesn't, he has nothing to drink and he can't see for three days. And it's in the midst of that time that God lets him know that he is being called and set apart for a new mission. You know that Jesus, you're gonna go persecute. You're gonna march into the same city and you're gonna preach in the synagogues that I am risen and that you're gonna take this message to the Gentiles. Wowie, zowie. Pretty soon, um, he goes and begins to preach in uh, Acts 9, chapter 20, or, yeah, verses 22 through 23. It says that Paul, or Saul, now he's Saul still here. He goes to Damascus and starts preaching, and you know the people are freaking out. I would be freaking out because this is the guy that you bolt your door and you go in the basement and you whisper real quiet like, but, and you try to uh, hide from him. But instead, he's preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is risen. And it says that he grew more and more powerful and persuasive. And Jews started believing that, he really, that Jesus really was the Messiah. In fact, he was so powerful, and we're going to see this pattern all throughout the 15 rounds here, that the Jews got really mad at him. Of course they did. They got really upset at him, and they wanted to kill him. Bless his heart. I mean, he's barely into his ministry and they already wanna kill him. So the disciples come and they sneak him out of... uh of Damascus and they take him to Tarsus and they say, stay there. And he stays there for a while and he's growing. And then long story short, all those Jews that had to be, or all those Christians who had to be spread out back when Saul first started persecuting the church, they're spread out all over the place. And word gets back to Jerusalem that the ones who spread all the way to Antioch are having this incredible experience of a church and they need someone to lead them. And so they pick Saul. They go, Barnabas goes to Tarsus and he finds Saul and he goes and says, you stay in Antioch and you help them church. And that's where our story begins. I'm sorry, you stay in Athens. It's Athens. Is that right? No, it's Antioch. Sorry. So uh, he's called to be a missionary in um, Acts uh, 13, verse 2. Um, they were fasting and worshiping in prayer. And the Spirit of God said to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And here it goes. He's going to leave his safe place, and he's gonna press out now into new territories that are held by the Prince of Darkness, and he's gonna bring that golden heart. He's gonna bring knowledge of Jesus Christ. So round one, ding, ding. He's gonna head through Cyprus, and on his way to Cyprus, or in Cyprus, he encounters a sorcerer, and uh, the sorcerer is trying to persuade the people against what Paul is saying. Paul's trying to be persuasive that Jesus is real. And the sorcerer's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. He isn't real and he's bad. And there's battle between the enemy and the light are going on. And Paul, right in the middle of it, just kind of looks over at the sorcerer and says, you need to be quiet now. In fact, I'm gonna strike you blind. And so he strikes him blind. And then the the proconsul guy looks over and says, wow, that was amazing. I'll believe in Jesus now. And so he believes in Jesus and a whole bunch of people believe in Jesus. And that was very cool Cyprus. Then he runs over to Antioch. And while he's in Antioch, he's preaching so powerfully, the kingdom of God's really, really advancing. He's, uh, it says that almost the whole city of Antioch got to hear the story of Jesus. Now, I'm trying to figure that out. I don't know how many, what the population of Antioch was, but I'm trying to figure Asheville. Almost the whole city. I've been praying God would do something in Asheville that almost the whole city... Got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul had this experience, powerful ministry in Antioch, but the Jews got mad. So the enemy's going, I can't let this happen. I can't let this happen. I got to find a door. I got to stop this. I got to press back in this fight. And so he comes through jealousy. The enemy likes that door. He throws open the door of jealousy, comes in through the Jews, raises up, and the Jews go and they create all this persecution, and, they, and, a, and, a, and the crowd all gets mad at him, and they expel Paul from the city. So he's, he's kicked out of the city. He's kicked out of Antioch. But Almost the whole city got to hear the good news. So as he's leaving, he takes off his sandals and he shakes his dust off round one. Round two, he goes to Iconium. In Iconium, it says that he, uh, he spoke so effectively, uh, Acts 14, 1, he says they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So the kingdom of God advanced. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Here comes the enemy. And there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews to mistreat them and stone them. And so they find out about it. And the, the brothers of Jesus, uh, uh, the Christians come to Paul and they say, We've got to get you out of the city. And so they snuck out at night and they escape death again. Kingdom of God advances. The enemy comes hard. Round three. Lystra. Wowie. What a round. What a round. Round three. They get to Lystra, and he's doing his typical thing, preaching, and it just so happens that right in front of him is a man who's crippled, and he's been crippled since birth, and Paul just can't get around it. So he looks over at the man, and says, it looks like you've got the faith to be healed, so stand up, be healed. And so the man stands up, and all the people freak out. Oh, that was amazing, that was amazing. Oh, you must be a god. And so they try and worship Paul. And they come, and they bow down before him, and they lay flowers at his feet, and they bring presents. And they're trying to worship Paul. And Paul's freaking out, going, whoa, wait a second, hold the phone. Not me, not me, pointing up. Jesus, not me, I can't do this. This is just the power of Jesus. And he even starts tearing his clothes and going, please don't worship me. This is a huge issue what you're doing here. This is idolatry, and I can't let you do this. Oh, I wish some... Celebrities would do that, you know, turn people back where they need instead of just receiving what doesn't belong to them. Paul's urgently begging them, please don't worship me, please don't worship me. Well, at the same time, as the enemy's plot would be, because he's very clever, The people of Lystra are loving what Paul's saying, even though they don't get it, obviously, they're worshiping him, but they're still favorable towards Paul. So the enemy can't get anybody in Lystra to stop him, so he runs back to Antioch and Iconium. And the Jews over there in Antioch and Iconium go, hey, I hear he's really liked in Lystra. Let's go over there. So Iconian and Antioch Jews come over to Lystra, and they go, he's really, really bad. You really shouldn't believe him. And that very crowd that was worshiping Paul they all get stirred up and they're like, you're right, he's not good, he's bad. He's really, really bad. Crowds are so persuaded as you're gonna see this through, through this story. And that very same crowd starts to stone him. And I don't know how this works. This is one of the points in the scriptures where I wish there were more details provided. But it scriptures say that they stoned Paul and they drug him out of the city thinking he was dead. So I'm thinking he must've been pretty beat up. Definitely unconscious. Maybe they couldn't even find a pulse. Bleeding. And when, being stoned to death, that's not, um, that's not a pleasant way to die. So he is bruised and battered, and they drag him out of the city, thinking he's dead. And what do the disciples do? It just says they gathered around him. And that doesn't say anything else. They gathered around him, and Paul got up and went back into the city. Oh, that's that moment I'm talking to you about in Rocky. That's it right there. You know the enemy's like, and then Paul gets up. He gets up and he walks. I would not have walked back into the city. And I was thinking about this this morning as I was preparing this talk, and I'm like, how do you blog about a day like that? All right, it was kind of weird. Like this morning, everyone was worshiping me and I was trying to tell them to stop and then they did stop. And In fact, they stoned me to death and everyone thought I was dead, but I, re- I was, or maybe I wasn't, I don't know. But anyway, the disciples came around and they prayed and all of a sudden I had the strength and I thought, you know what? I think I need to go back into the city. And he goes back in and he strengthens the believers and that's the end of round three, ding, ding. Round four, it says, the next day. Now, I don't, I've never been stoned to death, but I can imagine if I ever was, I probably wouldn't be doing much the next day. Monday morning after God's fell, I'll be in my bed. The next day is off limits. But no, God has done something supernatural to Paul. So the next day he gets up and went to Derby, and they didn't go to Derby in a plane or in a car or even probably on a horseback. He went to Derby by walking. Strength that is not of this earth was inside of Paul. So he walks to Derby and there it's powerful. He wins a large number of disciples in Derby. And um, the kingdom of God powerfully is beginning to advance into these other cities, so much so in Derby that there was no press back from the enemy. And after this, um, the disciples decide they're going to go back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and they're just going to hang out with the church there. Even those cities that they were kicked out of and and ridiculed and abused and even stoned, they're going back, and they're going to stay and to strengthen the disciples. So round four is about discipleship, powerful advance of the ministry of God, and you would definitely give round four without a doubt victoriously to Paul and the kingdom of God. Great ministry. And they, it says they got to stay for a long time. And I'm so glad Jesus gave them a little breather. So he gets a breather and you know what their message was to the church? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That was their message. They strengthened the brothers with, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In the midst of that time of ministry, it strikes Paul's heart that he needs to go back and, and push out again and bring the ministry on further. So in round five, he pushes back out, and he goes to Philippi. Wow, an amazing story in Philippi. Welcome back to the ring, Paul. He goes into Philippi, and uh, he's in the midst of his ministry there, and it's an amazing story, but he ends up casting a demon out of a slave girl. Who had the ability to tell fortunes. And the owners of this slave girl were very angry that she could no longer tell fortunes. So they stirred the crowd up against Paul. And now Silas is with him, and that's a whole other story. And you're going to have to read that for yourself. But anyway, Paul and Silas were, were um, attacked by the crowd. And it says they were severely flogged and thrown into prison. So this is their first trip out of their break. And they're severely flogged. And you know, the flogging was the same flogging that Jesus endured where it was like, uh, it was 39, is that correct everybody? 39 lashes um, and with the whip. And so that means that their flesh on their back was pretty much not there. And they were taken after that severe beating and they were put in stocks at their feet. So I don't know how that worked, but I try to imagine it. you couldn't really sit on your backside because there was no flesh there. Did you lay face down? Were they standing? I don't know, I just know they were bleeding profusely after this beating and they were in prison for the gospel and the scripture gives us this amazing glimpse that it was midnight and you know what Paul and Silas were doing, they were singing, they were worshiping and Jesus must have liked it because he sent an earthquake to the prison, only God can do that, right? Oh, that sounds really good. Thank you. Grr! He shakes the earth and the prison guard begins to try and kill himself because he knows all the prisoners are going to escape in the earthquake. And Paul and Silas cry out, we're still here. We're still here. They probably couldn't move. Are you kidding me? Like I'm going to get up and run out. I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. They're so weak and they cry out, don't, don't kill yourself. We're still here. And the, and the, and the prison guard is so broken. He comes to him and says, please tell me about, Please tell me about this Jesus. So they spend time talking about Jesus and it says that that prison guard took him to his own home and finally cleaned out their wounds. And then Paul baptized the whole family. I don't know how that happens. I have wanted to know. I don't know. Did Paul get in the water? Did he just say run down there and go down and come back up? I don't know how that process takes place with the wounds that they had. But I do know that they were powerfully, powerfully ministered to. They sang at midnight. God sent an earthquake and there were baptisms. And the ministry of Philippi advanced. And you know the kingdom of darkness believed that they had smashed the kingdom of light, but Paul just kept getting back up. He just kept getting back up. Round six, Thessalonica, a major story. Paul preaches and Jews are persuaded, but then the Jews press back and they start a riot, and Paul and Silas have to escape. Round seven, Berea. Bereans were of noble character and eagerly received the message, examining the scriptures. Many of them believed, but the Thessalonian Jews, who were mad, came over, stirred up trouble. Paul had to escape again. Round eight, Athens. Paul preached to them about the unknown God, and it says that a few believed. And in Acts, or in uh, round eight, we're given a major Beautiful picture. In verse 16, it says that Paul was greatly distressed. And when I saw those words, they really struck my heart because I'm like, yeah, I'd imagine so. Greatly stressed because you have a terrible headache. Greatly distressed because your scar tissue is bothering you. Greatly distressed because you're tired of walking to all these towns. Greatly distressed because no one will listen to you. Greatly distressed. That's not what he's greatly distressed about. Had nothing to do with the temporary things of this world. He's greatly distressed because there's so many idols in the town. And I want to tell you at this point, there isn't anything left of Paul. It is the risen Christ who has taken over his mind and his heart. And the things that distress the heart of God are the things that distress Paul. And it's no longer about being beaten or being persecuted or being wounded. He's done with all that. He is in this till the last round. Amazing picture. And in Corinth, round nine, Paul preaches to the Jews and they oppose him. So he goes to the Gentiles and uh, has an amazing ministry there. Um, But while he's in this ministry, the Jews attack Paul and they take him to court, although the case is dismissed. And there's something that happened in round nine that must have been really, really powerful that only Jesus knew about in deep in the spirit of Paul because it says in round nine, a new character entered into the ring. You know who it was? It says the Lord himself. The Lord himself came and stood close to Paul and said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm with you. And I just want to tell you, blessed are those who are persecuted. And why? It's hard for us to understand, but I've never had Jesus come stand close to me in the middle of the night. Sometimes when you need him that much, that's the blessing, is you get the Lord himself. And he comes and he stands next to Paul. And if you can picture it like a boxing ring, if Paul's in the, in the corner, it's Jesus himself standing behind him, rubbing his back, whispering in his ear, saying, you're gonna make it all the way. When the 15th round is here, you're gonna be the one standing. It's gonna be you. And that fierce enemy that's opposing you, that's tearing at your flesh, that's trying to destroy your heart, he will be destroyed and you will be standing. His work in these cities is going to be overcome by the kingdom of God. Boy, I could just go on and on and on. <clears throat> uh, round uh, 10 is in Ephesus. Powerful ministry there. Um, oh, I wish I had time to tell you. You've got to read that story for yourself, please. Um, Acts 19. It's just the funniest story about this demon's beating this guy, and he runs out naked, and it's really great reading. So you need to, you need to read that for yourself, and I'll let you do that. Uh, round 11 uh, is when um, Paul knows that he's got to say goodbye Um, He knows, he says this amazing passage in Acts 20, verse 22 through 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. If there is a round where Paul starts saying, like Rocky, in that Mr. T clip, when Mr. T's hitting him, and he's like, you ain't so bad, you ain't so bad, you ain't so bad, hit me again, hit me again, you ain't so bad, And, and Mr. T's pounding him as hard as he can, and Rocky's just taunting him, saying, take it, that's it. That's it. Round eleven with Paul's when he's saying, "You know what? I consider my life worth nothing to me." You think I'm hanging on to my flesh at this point? Oh, we're so over that. Whatever I do now is just to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And round twelve, Jesus, uh, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. And the Jews hate him. Jerusalem was where he started his his uh, persecutor of the church, and those those guys were his buddies. Those guys were the ones he used to be in alliance with, and now he's coming back in opposition to them. Now he's coming back saying, "No, Jesus is the way." And in Jerusalem, obviously, they try to kill him. It says that. Um, when they went to arrest him, the crowd, the reason that they arrested him, the Romans were trying to save him because the Jews were in the crowd trying to tear his body apart. So I don't know what that looked like, but it just said that he was being, they tried to protect him from being torn apart. So the Romans took him and they had to sneak him out by night because the Jews were fasting and they weren't gonna eat until they had killed Paul. So they took him away. And uh, in round 13, he spends two years in prison. And in round fourteen, he finally gets to sail to Rome, and this is a story. And I'll try and wrap it up here. He sails to Rome, and uh, they encounter a storm. Of course, Paul tells them, "You probably shouldn't go because it doesn't look like it's going to be real good weather." But they don't listen to him, and they get out there and they encounter this intense storm, and uh, so it's such a bad storm that they are without. They have to go fourteen days without food, which I don't know how that works either. Wowie. I'm hungry. Like if I don't get lunch by two or something. So 14 days here, it says they didn't eat. And, uh, they end up having to, uh, not only is there a storm where, where Paul says amazing things, but they end up having a shipwreck. And Paul tells them at this point, listen, nobody here's going to die, but you all are going to need to kick to shore And so they grab onto pieces of the ship and they kick to shore. And once he gets on shore here in the 14th round, as if that weren't enough, as if his whole life weren't enough, when he gets to shore, he's trying to build a fire to warm himself for dinner and a snake comes out and attaches to his hand. Now, if that isn't the end all, at the end of his day, I've already done a storm, I've done a shipwreck and now I get a snake bite. You know what guys, if any one of these things had happened in our lives, we would never stop talking about it. Do you know once I was bit by a snake? Did I ever tell you I was in a shipwreck? Oh, did you know the one about when I was flogged and put in prison? Any one of these things would be our story to tell. But Paul has more than he can even tell. And you know what he does with the snake bite? He just goes like this. And the snake goes flying off and he goes to fix his dinner. And that opens up a whole amazing ministry on the island and you're just going to have to read it yourself powerful. Round 14, the kingdom of God is brought to that island that they crashed onto. They're healed. They begin to know about the power of Christ. And in round 15, he testifies in Rome boldly and without hindrance. He preached the kingdom of God. And so this is, I told you all that to tell you just this. Round 15, he is still standing and the kingdom of God is advancing. He suffered more than anyone I, I know or have ever read about. And in Second Corinthians 11 and 12, you can read in detail his sufferings. Because you know what you'll find out if you read Second Corinthians 11? What I just told you isn't all. There's a whole bunch of suffering that's not even mentioned in Acts. He was beaten so many more times than is even recorded in the scriptures. So much more suffering. I don't even know what his body looked like. Do you know what a scar, you know how you could tell a story about a scar? What did Paul's body look like? What did his back look like? I don't know. One big giant scar all over his face. What does it look like after you've been stoned to death? What does your face look like? I don't know. But the man was a walking scar. But something inside him was no longer of this earth. Though his flesh um, has already been destroyed, God has strengthened his heart. And that's the Psalm seventy-three six: that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You are more than conquerors. And so when you read this little passage that's become very famous, I hope that after this little discussion we've had together in your own study of Paul and what it really looks like to be a fighter, I hope that you will never read these words again the same. When, when Paul says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 35, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? How did he know that? Because he'd been there, and he found that the love of Christ was with him. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors. And uh, as I was, uh, several weeks ago, as I was praying about this talk, I I really had a little visit with the Lord and these little sentences just started coming to my mind and I really um, believe they're for this church in this moment, for all of you, no matter where you are, here's the question. You can cry or you can sing at midnight. You can stay in the dirt or you can get up and go back into the city. You can fear the storm or you can trust God grab onto a piece of the shipwreck and kick to shore. You can curse God at a snake bite or you can shake it off and fix your dinner. And if there is a word to the church today, I think it's this, get up. Just get up. Don't be surprised at the trial you're suffering as if something strange were happening to you. This is it. We must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Americans have a hard time with this concept because suffering for us is no air conditioning. No, it's the truth. That is suffering for us. I'm hot. I'm sweating. This type of persecution that Paul endured would probably eclipse most of us, wouldn't it? Honestly, wouldn't we tuck our tail and run? And in the end times, Jesus said that many would fall away from the faith because they're afraid. They won't stand firm in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, Paul's told us and the spirit of Jesus tells us too: get up. Nothing can come against that heart of gold, that knowledge of Christ. Press on, shake it off, fix your dinner, go on. You can do more in Christ than you have ever dreamed. We can endure more than we even understand. And the reason is not because we can, because our flesh is dust, right? It's because of the spirit of God that can press on and conquer and endure. And may the Lord make us brave when we face these difficulties, that we won't tuck our tail and run, but we'll set our face like flint and we'll press into the city, that we'll be able to look at the enemy with the confidence of Christ and say, you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. I consider my life worth nothing to me that I may finish the task of Christ.